Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. I am your host, Eric Snader, and I am bringing you an absolute joy of an episode. This is episode number 35. Um, the title for this episode is Naked Pastor. Um, so I have the joy of bringing a conversation that I had with one David Hayward, a.k.a. The Naked Pastor. Um, you may be familiar with him. Um, you may be familiar with his blog. You may be familiar with his um, work as a pastor um, and as a leader for um, the community called The Lasting Supper. You may be familiar with his artwork. Um, he is an absolute wonderful gem of an individual. Um, you may be familiar with him from some of his written work. He just released a book called Till Doubt Do Us Part, and it's all about how um, going through the deconstruction of one's faith impacts one's marriage and one's relationships with their loved ones. Um, so it's it's a great book. Um, I highly recommend. I highly recommend going and following this guy on social media and whatever else. Um, he talks about it at the end of the episode, how you can get in touch with him. But he is an absolute gem of a fellow. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation that I had with him. So um, without further ado, here is The Naked Pastor. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I know I've tracked your journey a little bit and I was, I was reading till doubt to his part. So I, I, oh. I caught a little bit from that, but I mean, feel free to share a little bit about your story too. Um, are we recording now or yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Well, hi everybody <laughs> out there. <laughs> and thanks for having me on the show, Eric. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Um, my pleasure. Uh, yeah. So you know, basically, like most of us, grew up in a Christianish home, and uh, you know, I was baptized as a baby, and um, we hopped around different churches, basically out of convenience, not um, for, because of any agenda or theological preference or anything. We just, you know, my my father was a policeman, and we were transferred all over the place, so um, we just went to the nearest church if we went to church at all but when i was a teenager um i got like the whole born again uh thing at a baptist youth group and i convinced my whole family to go to that church and and then um about a year later or two we ended up switching to pentecostal and uh Pentecostal church. I'm in Canada, by the way. So this mm -hmm. is all in, happening in Canada. Right. And then, um, we, uh, from there I went to Bible college, Springfield, Missouri, a Pentecostal Bible college. Mm -hmm. And I got my, um, bachelor's in, in Bible and theology and, mm -hmm. uh, also started studying Greek. Um, there, mm -hmm. um, I, I was in, I, I was talked into going to seminary. Uh, Lisa and I got married after we, I graduated. Um, mm -hmm. Then we moved to Boston to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where I got my yeah. master's in theological studies, emphasis mm -hmm. in New Testament, um, under Dr. Gordon Fee. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I was deep into Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, the whole biblical thing. And my goal was to become a, a biblical scholar and uh, hopefully a professor at mm -hmm. a seminary or something or a Bible college or, or something like that. But, right. um, I ended up, uh, I wasn't very successful in finding a place, uh, because, uh, a lot of, uh, Bible colleges, et cetera, um, wanted their professors to have pastoral experience, which of mm -hmm. course I didn't have any, I was just in my young twenties. Mm -hmm. So, um, I ended up becoming a, an assistant to a minister in a, large Presbyterian church in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, doing that for a few years, I went off to University of Toronto to get my PhD in New mm -hmm. Testament. And we got pregnant, um, ran out of money, um, <laughs> ended up 
going to McGill uh, University in Montreal. Mm -hmm. I took a year diploma of ministry so that 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 gave me sort of the equivalent of an MDiv. Mm -hmm. And after that, I got ordained in the Presbyterian Church and um, served the Presbyterian Church for many years. We had kids. Um, And then in uh, in 1995, I got tired of the Presbyterian Church. I got a lot of, I was very frustrated and depressed and Mm-hmm. Um, because Lisa and I were looking for, um, like I fell in love with the reformed theology and, you know, uh, reading the great German theologians and American theologians and, right. and, um, I, I love that depth part of it, but mm-hmm. I missed the experiential aspect of, um, the church, uh, right. and, you know, like, like, music, um, worship and, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, you know, I felt like I was constantly trying to fan wet wood into flames, you know, um, <laughs> in my own life included. And it was just really frustrating and depressing for me. So we just left, we just quit. And about a year later, I was asked to become the pastor of a vineyard church where, um, here locally where I live now, where we found that happy mixture of mm-hmm. um, an interest in theology and serious, uh, and then also the, of course, with the vineyard, cool music, worship music, and, and stuff like that. Right. And um, so I, I pastored that church, essentially, long story short, until I left the ministry in 2010. So that was uh, 15 years that I wow. was basically uh, the pastor of that church. So yeah. and then from there, I went and taught uh, at a local university for a couple of years. And then I decided in 2012 to try doing Naked Pastor full-time. And right. it worked. And here I am uh, yeah. doing Naked Pastor full-time. Yeah. So so I'm interested about Naked Pastor. When did that when did that really start? I mean, you mentioned going full time. I assume that means that you were doing some of that before before going full time. Yeah, so I started blogging. I think in two thousand and four or something. Um, uh, I think I started with DavidHayward.ca, and then I, I I got the name ChurchPundit.com, and that sounded really pretentious, you know. And uh, <laughs> then I uh, decided to try Naked Pastor because. Um, at that time, things like the Naked Chef and the Naked Archaeologist and stuff like that was cool. So I thought Naked <laughs> Pastor would be cool. Yeah. And um, essentially what that means is I wanted to write a blog where people could see behind the curtain and see what a, the life of a pastor was really like. Right. With all of, not just the, you know, all the victories and the joys and the, you know, um, you know, salvations and money and all. I wanted them to see all the struggle and the doubts and the fears and insecurity and the fights and the wanting to quit and all this kind of stuff. So that's what the naked means. It's just me being um, honest, vulnerable, open, real, transparent, and Mm -hmm. um, unadorned. And uh, so I think it was in about 2006 when I tried I thought, you know, I've, I've been an artist my whole life, um, right. drawing and painting and stuff. I thought, why don't I try cartooning? And because mm-hmm. I like a good cartoon. And I did, and it just stuck. And mm-hmm. uh, I found it a very effective way to communicate. And um, it was plus, it was fun. And yeah. um, it just caught on. So that's what Naked Pastor is essentially mostly known for now is my cartoons. Right. But, that was, um, yeah. That was my entry into Naked Pastor as well. Actually, one of my friends from college was like, "Eric, you need to check this out. This guy is incredible. Uh, I love, I love his comics." <laughs> so that, that that was actually how I got introduced to you. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm curious about art. You mentioned you've been an artist your entire life. Has that has that always been sort of your your go to creative expression? Yeah, that and music. Um, okay. You know, I, I, actually, when I went to Bible college, I went as a music major, and I was a music major for three years. Yeah. Uh, but then I met my wife, Lisa, and um, she wasn't my wife then, of course, but Sorry. I met my, <laughs> my girlfriend, Lisa, and she was a missions major. And at one point, she just wondered, how is this going to work? 
when you're, I want to go in the missions field and you want to be a music pastor in church. Like, and I'm like, no problem. I'll just switch majors. (laughs) 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 And uh, that's where love wins as uh, Rob Bell says. Right. And, um, and, and I switched majors to Bible and theology and got serious about that. Uh, There was Mm -hmm. really awesome um, new Testament scholar there. And um, just, really um really took off and then and then you know we ended up getting married like a, a year later mm-hmm. and uh 1980 i can't believe it. it's been 40 years but um yeah so uh that's that's essentially how this all got started um but uh, so i was in music i love music um and i'd always been painting and drawing and stuff at home my dad was an artist mm-hmm. as well and um i just uh did mostly um like landscapes pretty moody watercolor paintings and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but i'd never really drawn cartoons Mm -hmm. um but i was influenced by i i I followed a cartoonist actually his name's hugh mcleod of gaping void fame and um i thought he's drawing a cartoon um and you know I could probably draw a cartoon. And so I challenged myself, I'm going to draw a cartoon every day until I can't think of any more. I thought I'd last a month maybe at the most, but here I am going, still going. 15 <laughs> years later, man. Yeah. Still drawing. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I don't think I'm going out a, on a limb by saying that a lot of your cartoons are coming from lived experiences, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mine. Right. Right. Your stories or the stories people share with me and give me permission to, uh, to, to draw about, um, but mostly they're universal experiences. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. when I speak about spiritual abuse or uh, things like that in my cartoons, um, I'm never, I'm never drawing about anybody else in particular. Uh, I, I want to be clear about that. Uh, that's one of right. my big disclaimers is uh, I never, when people share with me, I never think this will make a great car- cartoon and expose their personal lives. Um, right. But uh, there's enough spiritual abuse happening around that anything I do draw about spiritual abuse is pretty universal. I mean, globally, uh, all around the world, people are experiencing spiritual abuse. So Yeah. And I, I think that was that was another piece for me that really drew me to your work is is your ability to communicate something that I know I feel inside, something right. that I know I feel deep in my bones, like, yes, this is absolutely happening. This is an experience that I've had. This is something that I've thought about. This is something that I've worried about. Right. Um so for that, I am very appreciative for your work and thank you. Oh, thank you. Want to encourage you. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> I am encouraged. <laughs> um, the other the other thing that I wanted to circle back on um, that you mentioned was the fact that you did end up leaving um, being a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in your book you talk about it a lot too, but you you sort of attest it to deconstruction, mm-hmm. um, and I I get the sense that a lot of your work revolves around that idea of deconstruction and that experience. So I was wondering, I wondering if you could talk a little bit about what deconstruction is. Okay. Well, I I'm actually I think I'm the I'm not patting myself on the back or anything, but I think. <laughs> I think I'm the one who actually started using that word that's actually out of philosophy. Um, uh, um, Derrida in France was a philosopher who uh, created that term and employed it to talk about how we read texts, etc. And um, I I thought it sounded like a great word to describe the erosion of our beliefs that we hold so dearly um and and i'm talking about important cornerstone beliefs you know where we start questioning uh anything from was jonah swallowed by a great fish or a whale to uh you know is there a god and everything Mm -hmm. in between and and so uh you know it's that's what i refer to when i talk about deconstruction is the erosion the crumbling of the tearing down of our um 
individual beliefs and our whole belief systems. Right. Now, I think I think there's two kinds of deconstructions. Now I've come to the conclusion there's two different kinds. One is theological and the other is ecclesiological. So when people start questioning their beliefs and so on, that's a theological deconstruction, which is terrifying. Um, and then uh, for most, uh, and then there's the ecclesiological one where we start deconstructing our relationship to the church, something we've mm. been going to our whole lives and have become dependent upon. And um, so my observation is that when somebody deconstructs from church, they don't necessarily deconstruct um, theologically. Mm-hmm. But I, ha- I think when people deconstruct theologically, most of them deconstruct from the church as well. Um, right. And and so that's that's what I refer to when I talk about deconstruction. I want to make sure that there, uh, it, it can mean your relationship to the church, but mostly what I'm concerned about are those people who, like me, who um, their whole belief system is challenged. And right belief itself is challenged and faith and and so on and uh you go through that terrifying and traumatic experience of uh losing all these um or change uh, dramatic transformation of the beliefs you've you've held on to for so long right yeah um i I know one really i think the moment for me when i that really like resonated with me um, I was in college. I was about a year, year and a half into my Bible program. Right. And my theology had been completely changed. My understanding of who God was, how we interact in the world, you know, right. like all of that kind of stuff, um, how we interact with scripture, all of that was being changed. And I remember having a conversation with my with my parents and essentially being called a heretic for my like new beliefs and to me that was like mm-hmm. that was that aha moment like oh my goodness i'm something has changed over the past couple months where i'm not in the place where i used to be and these structures that i had mm-hmm. built around me just aren't holding holding it up anymore mm-hmm. um and that was i know for me that was a really really important milestone that that coming to awareness of oh my goodness something is happening yeah it's terrifying it's not only terrifying um and eye-opening um and traumatic personally because you know i remember lying there on my bed breaking out in a cold sweat uh afraid of being sent to hell even though i didn't believe in it anymore kind of thing Mm -hmm. like it's yeah yeah, it really is uh messes you up and, um, but it also has social ramifications, you know, when, uh, you come out spiritually or theologically to your parents or your siblings or your friends or your church, it, it has a very, um, overwhelming effect. There's ramifications, right? It's not just you personally. Um, right. and, uh, you know, you get, uh, judged, criticized, uh, labeled, uh, even rejected, excommunicated, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a really traumatic experience for, for many people. And, yeah. and you know, the, this uh, if we're uh, serious about our own spiritual journeys, we, we start to realize that uh, this isn't an accident that my beliefs are changing and how people are reacting uh, this isn't an accident. This is all in place to keep me under control and to keep my thoughts under control and my beliefs in line. And, um, you know, once you see through that, that your uh, theological conditioning uh, is, is buttressed by the community you're in, and then... then um, you find the courage, hopefully, to to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think I think that is an important aspect: is that courage to be able to enter into it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know, I know, we just mentioned how traumatic it can be, and how scary it can be, and how terrifying, and yeah, uh, it can leave you absolutely rocked. But it can also be such a life giving process it could be so filled with 
growth and expansion and new life. And it's, I mean, it's an incredible sense of liberation if you are able to come out the other side. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when you start down that road now, yeah, when you start down that road, it's, it's, it's scary because you you feel like you're misbehaving and you're, you know, you're, you're doing something wrong and you're coloring outside the lines mm-hmm. and <laughs> stepping outside the box and reading verboten literature and all this kind of thing. But, um, yeah, uh, my, my deconstruction actually started in seminary, um, up, up, up to that point, I was pretty, I was a biblicist. Like the Bible for me was number one. Uh, I absolutely believed in, um, the infallibility, the inspiration, the inerrancy of scripture, never questioned it actually. Uh, you know, I, I question, you know, the six day creation and, you know, Jonah and the whale stories and things like that. Like I, I question that stuff, but that's not, that wasn't serious for me. Right. But in, in seminary, I, uh, actually it was, uh, just before graduation, I think all my studies were done and everything. And I was downtown in Harvard yard or something. There was a bookstore there and I noticed a book on the shelf. And uh, I just picked it up and bought it. I was intrigued by the title and um, uh, the summary of the book. So I took it and I read it and it shook my world because it caused me to question the, you know, the Bible as inspired, inerrant, infallible. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I panicked. I absolutely panicked to the point where I was actually in my uh, graduation robe down and my wife had to actually grab me and say, calm down. <laughs> You've got to go to graduate. Like it was literally that devastating to me where I'm like, it's like the, I compare it to the Jenga block tower where um, the bottom block has been pulled out, mm-hmm. the Bible, and the whole tower's rocking back and forth and crumbling. And that's where my deconstruction actually began. That mm-hmm. was way back in the 80s. Right. And so my my deconstruction was like a slow glacial melt. It, mm-hmm. it just uh, took decades to right. to accomplish. And um, I say accomplish because it was an accomplishment. And but you're <laughs> right. Uh, the journey for me was a long, arduous one, filled with angst. And mm-hmm. you know, um, it was it was torture uh, the whole way through my ministry, and um, to the point where it finally came to completion the year before I left the ministry. So, right. yeah, it's quite, quite a journey. But whereas I know some people who, you know, they wake up one day and they say, you know what, I don't believe this anymore. And they, like, dust themselves off and move on. Right. <laughs> you know, that's not my story. Um, but I'm glad that you mentioned that because everyone everyone's process is different. Yep. Um, I, I mean, like, I know for me, I'm, I say like, oh, I went through my deconstruction in college and I make it sound like, oh, this is something that I've, I've sort of come to terms with and I'm good with it. And, Uh you know, I put it to bed, but it's always, I mean, it's still continuing to grow inside me. It's still continuing to work on me. Um, there are some things that have come to, um, that I've come to peace with. There are some things that have taken root and there are other things that are continually pushing me to expand those, those boundaries, expand those horizons. Right. Um, and I think that's, I think that's an important thing to mention is that everyone's different. Everyone's growth process and growth pattern is different. Yeah. So that's one of the things I really try to help people with is, um, to view their deconstruction as a healthy, uh, like, so for example, the other day, one of my cartoons, um, there's a bunch of people in a church and there's a woman leaving the church and every, everybody inside the church is saying, because she's leaving, she's backsliding. The woman leaving is thinking I'm growing. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that one. I really, I really like that one. When you relabel that deconstruction process as, a, as growth then it it changes the story um, and it's something to be appreciated 
and lived through and uh, respected, you know. Um, so uh, that's why I think deconstruction is a way of life. Deconstruction mm-hmm. is where we question. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to live in the question uh, and to live in mystery and live in the tension of paradox mm-hmm. uh, is, is a, it's a way of life. And I think it's a health, the healthiest way of life, actually, rather right. than certitude and dogmatism and, you know, um, no, knowledge even. Uh, so uh, I, th- I, I think when we reframe the whole deconstruction process as, uh, as process, as progress, as growth, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it can be appreciated as a positive thing rather than um, I'm, either I'm backsliding or now confusion has taken root in my brain uh, and I'm in trouble, uh, or, or any other kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I really appreciate, particularly with your, with your book, um, is the ability to frame the deconstruction into, into, I guess, an under, an understandable scope. So framing it in relation to how it impacted your marriage and your relationship with your wife, mm-hmm. um, I think it's really helpful to find that framework when you're going through a deconstruction process because it can be so it can be so confusing it can feel like everything is sort of slipping away um it's i I found it's really helpful to find some sort of framework to process it through if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely um and and that's why, like in the book, uh, actually it's my ninth book, Till Doubt Do His Part, When change, Beliefs Change Your Marriage, uh, I mention um, different things, uh, like, for example, um, stages of faith mm-hmm. or, um, you know, um, phases of grief and dying and, and things like that, because if you if we can if we can see that our deconstruction is actually uh, <clears throat> a way of maturing as a person, then it doesn't then it's not just a sort of a a spiritual thing happening in the corner of our lives. It actually is the entirety of our lives. And right. and if we take sort of that integrated um, view of our spirituality, that it that it's it's our it's our entire life. It's not just a religious aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like what Carl Jung and, and so so on spoke about individuation and and um, you know integration, where where um, our spiritual journeys actually is our personal journey. Yeah. So when I when I and and you know when you talk about it in in reference to marriage, uh, you know Lisa and I met in Bible college. Right. And we were pretty much on the same page. It was just an assumption mm-hmm. and presumed. And and then as my deconstruction began in seminary, there was just sort of this, like I said, slow glacial melt. There was nothing, nothing um, alarming at any point in our lives. But when my, when my, deconstruction actually sort of came to a climax in 2009. That's when it really started to challenge our marriage because I came to some conclusions uh, that really signified that my spiritual transformation was quite huge, (laughs) quite, quite traumatic. And, and, and so that, and then when we left the church, that just sort of added to the fire. That was just, throwing fuel on mm-hmm. and um and that that was really really difficult for us to go through that and i talk about that in the book i get quite personal mm-hmm. about how um you know after we left the church and the ministry it was it was a really really difficult time there for a couple of years and it was touch and go sometimes we weren't even sure we were going to make it right mm-hmm. uh, um so what you mentioned you mentioned in the book that you started to notice differences between you and Lisa. Um, in in what in what ways did those 
rock your relationship and in what ways did you end up working through them? Um, yeah, so like I said, a lot of our, like Lisa wouldn't, Lisa and I would never sit down and say, let's talk about prayer, you know, and then we'd have a theological discussion. It was never like that. We're just, mm-hmm. uh, it was just all kinds of things were assumed and presumed and, you know, it was just automatic. And, uh, we were just set on autopilot pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had, we respected our own personal spiritualities, um, you know, and, and Lisa has a, a, a fondness for, um, and is drawn towards um, native spirituality because she's um, part Choctaw Indian and that, that's part of her heritage. And she's very interested in, in that kind of thing. And she would, blend some some stuff in and um you know and i was interested in eastern philosophy and mm-hmm. so on and so forth so these things were never alarming they were just sort of tweaks here and there mm-hmm. but it was it was when um in in uh, 2009 when i woke up uh basically uh, had a spiritual awakening like an epiphany Mm-hmm. Um, when I realized, holy smokes, like this is, this is huge. And that's when we had to really sit down and start figuring things out. Right. Um, and, and, uh, you know, because we realized we're not, we're not on the same page theologically. Mm-hmm. We're not even in the same book, <laughs> maybe right. not even in the same library. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, we, we felt really, and, and we were under the naive assumption um, that uh, our theology um, compatibility was a, a, an important ingredient in the glue that kept us together, mm-hmm. and and so when when you when you when you see that what you thought was an important feature of holding you together, when you see that go, you have to you have to sit down and renegotiate. <laughs> but right. We basically had to sit down and renegotiate. Okay. What, what is it that keeps us together? Like, what is mm-hmm. this? Um, what is it going to be? You know, if it's not our compatibility of beliefs mm-hmm. and uh, it took us a while to realize that, you know, and this is one of the chapters in the book and I have homework questions at the end of each chapter. And they are great homework questions. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and one of them is, what was it about your spouse that you fell in love with? What was it at first that attracted you to them? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't Lisa's theology mm-hmm. that I first noticed. It was her her body, her face, her beauty. Uh, and then it was her, her feistiness, her courage, her wisdom, her, um, you know, adventurousness, uh, all these things that... Um, I found very, very attractive. And those are the things that are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, yeah, we've aged, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it, you know, the, what I fell in love with, what attracted to me, what attracted me to her um, still abides. And the, and the theology, now we understand, is, is just this sort of uh, fluid kind of um, surface movement on the on the on the on the surface of our lives it's kind of like the river out in front of my house here Mm -hmm. um the surface of the river changes every day several times a day but it's still the same river and 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 so when we came to understand it took a while it took a while it took a lot of conversations a lot of fights even some Mm -hmm. separations for us to you know realize what we are attracted to in one another is that is the river not the ripples. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe you can speak to this a little bit as well, but did you, did you, did you find it easier to find that place of acceptance for, for Lisa, for who she was, because you had found that place of acceptance for who you are? Well, that was the that was the big that was the big deal 
for me in, in 2009, when I had this kind of epiphany was, was realizing now I'm going to start sounding a little bit like Richard Rohr, but, um, I, I sort of, uh, felt propelled into a more mystical understanding of reality. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, I, I saw in an instant that there's only one reality, but there's many apprehensions of that reality, many interpretations of that reality, mm-hmm. many articulations of that reality, but there's only one reality. And so I, I saw in an instant that Christian Christianity has its uh, apprehension mm-hmm. and, and um, its... Uh, understanding and its articulation of this one reality, and so do Buddhists, Muslims, atheists. Every, every for me, I, I saw in an instant that um, there's one reality, many interpretations, mm-hmm. millions, right? And um, but it's just it's just thoughts and words that seem to separate us and divide us. Mm-hmm. But there's just one reality. And so, yeah, this was, um, now, this, this epiphany, well, I don't know what to call it, whatever, whatever that was, uh, it took a while to percolate down into my bones, you know, um, and become a, a part of who I was. It took me a while to integrate that into my, my life, but it made me realize, you know, the Lisa's preferences for interpreting reality and her preferences of language and words and thoughts to understand and articulate that is just her preference and, and mine is mine, but it's, it doesn't change that one reality that, that uh, unites us. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I feel that way about everybody. Right. Um, and, and uh, so I really do honestly no I, I i don't want to say believe because i know that we're we're deeply connected on a very fundamental level mm-hmm. and united and you know i you know i've i've read people like meister eckhart and you know other christian mystics cloud of unknowing um uh negative theology uh apophatic theology whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it and then mm-hmm. uh, uh and then you know you read the quantum physicists and you read philosophy, uh, some philosophers, and so on, they're all, when you get to a certain point, they all start sounding like they're speaking the same language, Yeah, describe the same reality in, from their field of expertise, right? But it, 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 you can start hearing the, the resonance between these apparently um, different schools, mm-hmm. but there's just that one reality, so... Right, that to me right. was was key in um, uh, not just knowing that Lisa and I are united, but actually enjoying that and appreciating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the most difficult aspects of communicating something like that, especially with the tradition that that supports, you know, like we're the only reality that's really difficult to communicate without having lots and lots of backlash. No. And, and when you, it, it, it comes down to like, I know you can uh, probably imagine I get a lot of hate every day. I get attacked every day because I'm not using the right words mm-hmm. to explain the right thoughts in the, in the right way. Mm-hmm. And um, because religion does tend to be very exclusive. It does right. want to, each religion wants to be the, have the corner in the market mm-hmm. and um but that i think i'm not against religion i think religion is very useful very healthy and when it's working at its best it attempts to unite mm-hmm. um and but nevertheless we see often it, it, do, it does the opposite where it wants right. to claim um exclusivity in its apprehension of reality and its articulation of reality. And you basically have to sign up to their way of describing it. Mm-hmm. What I found, so what I found really interesting, I took a, a, a class in seminary 
titled Jesus in World Religion. So it was looking at like how other world religions interpret Jesus. So we looked at Jesus through the lens of Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, Islam. And one of the things that I brought out of that class with me is like, so in order in order to look at the lens, we had to have a brief overview of each each individual religion. What really stood out to me was that each religion has a different question or a different human problem that it's addressing. Um, so I mean, like Christianity is addressing this idea of individual sin and needing salvation, um, whereas other religions aren't even starting from that or starting from that vantage point or even asking that question. Uh, so of course they're going to be different. Of course the vocabulary is going to be different. Um, I don't know. That was just something that really, that really stuck out to me. So I'm, I'm definitely tracking what you're saying. Yeah. It's the same with me in seminary. I was asked uh, to do a project comparing the teaching of Jesus to the teaching of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it was disturbing because there were so much similarities mm-hmm. you know like there are differences of course between religions and and the founders of these religions so-called founders um but the the similarities between them are um really really remarkable mm-hmm. which goes to our my point earlier that th- uh, there's one reality in these different attempts to describe it um, that that is also taking place um, uh, locally in a culture in a geographical place with certain language and customs and traditions and and so on that uh, that color e- each of these attempts to apprehend the mystery right mm-hmm. so um yeah, it was it was uh, quite a project for me. It was the first time I've ever done anything like that, and it was it was really quite an alarming experience for me. Right. Yeah. Um. So I guess I guess circling back on deconstruction, we mentioned that deconstruction, you know, it's a process that everyone goes through their own way. Um, everyone interprets that that lived experience of deconstruction in a different way and frames it a different way. Um, in your experience, uh, both lived experience and also in working with others who are going through deconstruction themselves, mm-hmm. are there any common threads that you see in the deconstruction process, sort of, sort of hallmarks that people, that people will in one sh- way, shape or form sort of experience in their own process? Well, I've, um, I've sort of borrowed Kubler-Ross's model of uh, the stages of death and dying, Mm -hmm. Um, and I've they they I think we're now leaning towards a better word instead of stages because stages give the impression that you go from one to the next. Uh, I think we prefer the word phases now, where you you can phase in and out of any of these. Re, uh, responses to death and grief, and um, so I, I borrowed those. So, and I, I do see uh, people sort of going through these phases and circling in and around, and maybe going back around and doing them again, or skipping over whatever. So, uh, for those who might not know, but uh, there first is there. There's the denial. This isn't happening. I can't believe this is happening. I've been faithful my whole life, and I believe I've been a strong believer my whole life. This can't be happening to me. <laughs> and uh, so, then the next one's anger that you've let it happen. You you're, you're really upset. Why isn't God, you know, um, restoring your faith? You know, um, you're angry at maybe the church for letting you down. Um, you're angry at yourself for not praying and reading the Bible every day like you should have. This wouldn't have happened if you'd done that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And then there's um, bargaining where um, you, um, maybe if I pray harder and study the Bible harder, or maybe if I go back to my childhood beliefs and just la, 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 shout all this out, 
um, that it'll go away or, you know, I'll make a deal with God or for people who are further down the road, they might be like, um, well, maybe if I become more a progressive Christian, maybe if I start reading Rob Bell or, uh, Richard Rohr, I can still, (laughs) I can still keep my beliefs, but be kind of more progressive, this kind of bargaining stage, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the depression stage where you're like, damn it, I'm, I'm deconstructing. Uh, I can't help it. It's happening to me. It's like somebody dying, right? That's mm-hmm. like you're depressed. You're dying. You, you mm-hmm. face the fact that it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your, your beliefs as you knew it, your faith as you knew it is gone. It's done. Mm-hmm. It's over. It's dying. Yeah, yeah. And you just have to face the fact. And then finally you get, hopefully get to that place of acceptance. And that's the beautiful place where you were talking about once you get through all those processes, Whereas there's just, it's not even necessarily a happy, joyful, jump, skip around phase. It's just, there's peace. There's serenity. There's just a calm acceptance of mystery. Mm-hmm. And you no longer need an answer. You no longer need that feeling of certainty. Uh, you no longer need that warm feeling um, that you thought was God or whatever, comforting you. Um, you, you just have this still serene peaceful confidence that everything's okay even if you don't understand it mm-hmm. and um so that's what i i try to help people go through those uh phases um and to embrace it to accept it um, try not to reject their past that's another thing i'm, I'm i really want to emphasize well i see a lot of people that are like christianity and the church is stupid and they just throw the whole thing out, right? Right. I can't believe I believe that. Bullshit. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe you want to delete oh, that out. No, no. Okay. Swearing swearing is allowed. In this oh, okay. I can't believe I fell for all that bullshit. And, um, you know, they just throw the whole thing out. I'm like, wait now. That's a whole, that's the whole um, prologue to your story. Like, don't throw it out. Figure right. out a way to integrate it. You wouldn't be who you are now unless you were who you were then. Right. You wouldn't be where you are now unless you were where you were then. Right. So appreciate it. Embrace it. doesn't mean you have to still believe that stuff. Um, you know, I used to believe in Santa. I used to believe in fairies. I used to believe in monsters under the bed. But they, they helped, even though I don't believe those things anymore, uh, they helped shape who I become. And it's the same with Christianity and the church and um, theology of all kinds. Even my Pentecostalism in the back, in, in my background, you know, uh, I don't like it when people make fun of Pentecostals worshiping and stuff like that because that's that's who I was. I was mm-hmm. that, and right, right. I I don't intend to throw that out or reject that or call it stupid because I wouldn't be who I am today unless right, exactly. I was there. And I like who I am. I appreciate yeah. who I am. I'm yeah. I honor my journey and celebrate my journey. And, and so I, I try to encourage other people to do the same with their own, you know, conservative, uh, Christian backgrounds. Yeah. Um, I definitely resonate with that. I know for me, I do not believe a lot of what I grew up being taught um, Mm -hmm. as a child and as a, as a, as a teenager, as a young adult. Um, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that my tradition did ingrained in me or planted me was this this understanding that god is love in some way shape or form or that love and god are synonymous that love and god are intimately connected and that for me was a huge linchpin between where i was and how i got to who i am today that that idea that god is love is a huge linchpin which it was, I mean, it was the catalyst. It was the explosion that really brought things to light for me when I was in that theology class and working through the different, um, salvation theories and atonement theories and, you know, names for God, um, the, you know, all this, all this kind of stuff that I was learning in theology, my first theology class, um, the catalyst for me was that understanding that God is love and then really starting to embrace, okay, what do I mean when I say God is love? But if I didn't have that tradition beforehand that was telling me 
God is love, God is love, God is love. I wouldn't have been able to latch onto that and really flesh it out and explore what that meant, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense because I, and I, I've talked about this before where um, I've gone through different versions of God. Mm-hmm. My first version of God would have been like a strict parent, um, you know, who punishes you when you do wrong and rewards you when you do right. And uh, and then I graduated to my next version of God, where God is forgiving, and He'll forgive you if you repent. And then I I moved on to my next version of God, where God loves unconditionally if you accept it right kind of thing if you know about it and that one conditional caveat yeah you you have to accept it and have jesus in your heart and and then god loves you but then i i'm you know and then i moved on to the next version of god so each where god is all loving all things and and true love doesn't care what the object of the love does Mm -hmm. love just loves Mm -hmm. um in spite of even the knowledge or the permission of the beloved, right? But each each time it was kind of like God, that God uh, said, "Okay, I, I'm no longer I no longer suffice. Here's move on to my next version, right? <laughs> the next my next iteration, you know. And uh, of course, we know that, that you know that's basically idolatry." Um, and because our, like Cal, John Calvin said, our minds are, are, uh, an endless, uh, manufacturer of idols. And, mm-hmm. but th- this is how I progressed mm-hmm. and moved along, yeah, um, yeah. in my, in my spiritual journey. The Bible is the same way. Like it, it was the Bible that, um, started, um, putting out breadcrumbs for me, such, such things like, um, it's in God we live and move and have our being, mm-hmm. or He was God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto Himself, or um, you know um, He is the All in All. You know these kind of things were hints that there was something greater than I could perceive at that time. Um, so yeah, I totally get it that we we sort of graduate through these different levels of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned you mentioned um, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. I one of the ways that I liken it my my wife loves to watch home renovation shows um, <laughs> on HGTV, and there was one episode of the one that she was watching. It was like this competition between house flippers, um, and the one the one couple bought this house and it was like a total wreck, a total shit show. And they essentially had to tear the entire house apart. They needed to like rip out all the carpets. They needed to rip out all the walls, all the insulation, everything to the Mm -hmm. point where it was just the structure of the house by the time they were done ripping everything out. And then they went on from there to essentially build a new house. But the structure of the house was still there. The foundation was still there. These right. aspects of the house that m- made it the house that it used to be are still there. But now, essentially, it's a new house. If that makes sense, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's like that. I or that idea of um, like the parable about the boat and replacing each plank um, one by one by one by one until all of a sudden the boat's no longer recognizable. But you know, it's still the same boat, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's another thing I talk about, too, with deconstruction. I get a lot of people, and I can hear anxiety in their question or, or, or declaration that, oh, okay, deconstruction's fine, but you need to reconstruct. And I'm like, no, 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 uh, not necessarily. For some, they might want to reconstruct, uh, build a whole new belief system, or maybe jump into yoga or crystals or tarot or buddhism or atheism like but for me i'm an open concept kind of guy so if if the whole structure was conditioned that was our conditioning if the whole thing has deconstructed and we've seen behind the curtain 
that this isn't where we need to invest our spirituality in, in a bunch of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Why build something else? Like once that's gone, it's, it, I compare it to uh, say planting uh, a tomato plant in, in your garden. First, you have to break up the ground. You have to remove the stone. You have to remove the stumps. You have to add in manure and fertilizer and compost and um, keep the weeds away and, and water it and make sure it gets sun. Basically, it's getting stuff out of the way. If you get stuff out of the way, it's going to grow. And, and that's what I think essentially spiritual growth is about, is just getting stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the blocks that we have the negative beliefs that we have, the shame that we have, the guilt, all, you know, the uh, wrong thinking um, that we need to clear. Because I really do believe that if you get, if you clear your mind of all these hindrances, it'll grow Mm -hmm. like that middle plant. Yeah. And I think, I think that's that, that sense of peace, that acceptance that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think for some people finding, finding another framework to live in is helpful, you know, for some people, people, it might be helpful to switch to a different religion or, you know, begin taking yoga or get into crystals or anything else like that, but that's not everyone. And it's, I think it's really important for whoever, whoever's moving into that third space or that space of acceptance, whatever that's supposed to look like is finding right. peace in whatever that looks like. Yeah. So for me, I, the reason why, like I have a, a lot of respect for like Buddhism and Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, Islam, uh, Judaism, atheism, science, mm-hmm. uh, you name it, because these are all attempts to understand, apprehend, understand and articulate the mystery. Um, but they're partial, necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're partial, uh, and and so why would I go jump from one partial perspective to another partial perspective? For me, why not appreciate the whole thing, mm-hmm. everything, the whole full dimension of right, right. human attempts to understand and articulate the mystery? Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I think it's the um, the most fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that in and of itself is the reconstruction of finding that open space. Right. right. Um, you know, I don't, I think I agree with you. Reconstruction does not necessarily need to mean that you need to go and jump into another religion or suddenly constrain yourself into another set of boundaries or another set of rules or another set of conditions. Well, no, because uh, you'll have to deconstruct there, too, eventually. Right. Exactly. I, I have a friend who is a Buddhist monk um, who has deconstructed as a Buddhist. And she's talking with me about how to translate my material on deconstruction into the Buddhist context mm-hmm. for her Buddhist uh, followers who are deconstructing. So it, it happens everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and she's having the same issue of deconstructing Buddhist thought as well as uh, um, Buddhist Sangha, the community, and, um, you know, uh, deconstructing like, like Christians do with church. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just very fascinating. So um, for me, um, I, I, you know, I, I tell people, uh, are you, when they say, are you a Christian or not? I say, well, Christianity is my home, but I have cottages everywhere. Yeah. Or um, it's, it's, it's in my DNA. It's my family of origin. I have a profound, awesome um, relationship with Christianity and the church and Christian theology and, and so on. And, and uh, um, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's partial, but the, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually partial with this partial Right. Like I have a, I have a, but I am also aware that it's because a large part of it is because this is what I grew up on. This is the yeah. food I grew up on. And, and so of course I'm going to lean towards it and, 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 uh, you know, have a, a greater appreciation for it. But 
I also see, like in Buddhism and philosophy and science and so on, I have a profound respect and love for because they're speaking the same thing in different language. Yeah. Uh, and um, that's why I appreciate it so much. And I remember, I remember, um, uh, I forget why, but some years ago, it was when I was still a minister, pastor, I picked up a book, the, the, the best of, uh, a collected writings of David Bohm, who's a quantum physicist. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that book and was like, man, like, it's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And he's, it sounds mystical. And then I, I read an interview of him where he believed he was asked by the interviewer, um, if he believed in God and he said, well, he wouldn't say that, but he said, I do believe that this life energy is compassionate. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. That a, an atheist scientist would say that. A highly respected quantum mm-hmm. physicist. He's died, you know, but, um, you know, still one of the greatest. And I just found that super profound. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I just, Carlo Ravelli's book, The Seven Brief Lessons in... Uh, physics. Uh, when I read his book, he he claims to be an atheist too. But when I re- re- read the book, I mean, I remember Lisa looking over at me and she said, "Are you crying?" <laughs> and I had tears rolling down my cheeks because it was just so beautiful. And yeah. and he's describing the same reality I feel is out there, but in different language. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, when people or. When I when I talk about my my religious leanings, at least on this podcast, and when people ask me about my religious really, leanings, oftentimes I'll say, you know, Christianity is my home. It's had vocabulary that's been really, really, really helpful for me um, in articulating my experience. But it's mm-hmm. not the only vocabulary out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think what you just shared is a is a perfect example of that. Is you know, you find that that mystical connection to the divine, to energy, to source, to flow in so many different ways and so many different avenues beyond just, well, this is what the Christian household says. Yeah, it's like it's like my English language, right? It's my first language. Um, and uh, I just this is the language I'm going to use and employ to describe things, because this is what I grew up on. Now, you know, we live in a bilingual place where French, so French would be my second language. I'm trying to learn Spanish on Duolingo because I have a lot of uh, Spanish followers. I'd love to learn Portuguese because my yeah. my most my biggest city of fans is Sao Paulo, Brazil. Really? Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> and um, just people deconstructing all over the world, right? So mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to speak these other languages, but I'll always resort to English because that's my not just my favorite way of communicating, but my more effective way of communicating. So it's, it's like my Christian heritage. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the same thing. I, it, I'm going to always, it's always there. And, mm-hmm. and um, in fact, it's the, it's the lens through which I have become who I am and, and right. see all things the way I see all things united. It's been through this lens of Christianity. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. when you read somebody like Richard Rohr, or Meister Eckhart, or or the Cloud of Unknowing, or uh, Teresa of Avila, or any of these other uh, Christian mystics, you you realize they've they've gone through a window or through a lens to understand reality, but they start sounding like one another from different mm-hmm. religions and different philosophies and sciences and so on. So, mm-hmm. I think that's I, I think that's really important to acknowledge, but. You know, um, Meister Eckhart was a Christian preacher, mm-hmm. pastor, and mm-hmm. and um, and so is Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. <sighs> Man, yeah. it's been an hour already. <laughs> um, so one what one thing I do want to leave space for. Um, we mentioned that. Um, you have a, a recent book out called Till Doubt to Us Part, but you mentioned that you have a lot of other books. You mentioned sure. that you have your blog and your cartoons. Do you want to share with how people can get connected with you at all? 
Sure. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, my if you go to nakedpastor.com, that's pretty much uh, base camp for me where everything, you can find everything there. My cartoons are there. My blog's there. I have courses, um, Naked Pastor courses, um, on how to leave the ministry, how to deconstruct, um, how to have a healthy attitude about money. I call that money a spiritual. Um, how to interpret your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, and I'm building a course right now, Till Doubt Do Us Part, about marriage and deconstruction. Right. Um, my books are on Amazon. Uh, the one before this was uh, Questions Are the Answer. Um, uh, I have a book on Sophia. Uh, you know, I, I have an online community called The Lasting Supper. Mm-hmm. .com for people who are deconstructing and need a safe place to do that. And um yeah, I'm just really busy doing a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, it sounds com is where you can find me. And I'm really good at responding. If you reach out to me in any way through a direct message or a private message or an email, I I promise you I'll I'll respond. I always do. I personally can attest to his ability to respond very very quickly. He emailed me back within like an hour or something. Well, like it's that. funny because I, I basically live the life of a hermit, right? I work from <laughs> home. My wife's the nurse. She's working full time. And uh, so when somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, you want to talk? I'm like, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been absolutely wonderful. I'm feeling in a pretty good spot. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Or what No, did, we, uh, I, we covered a lot, into? man. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we did. Well, this has been Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so, so very much. I really, I really appreciated this, um, this chance to sit down and talk with you about deconstruction, about faith, about reality, about everything. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much for your time, for your experience, for your wisdom. Um, we typically end the podcast out by saying peace and love. So would you be willing to take us out this week? Peace and love, everyone. We'll see you on the interwebs. (laughs) Thank you so very much.